When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Good afternoon. This is Madam Adams, Cindy Adams from the New York Post and WABC. If you don't always listen to me on WABC on Sundays, which you should, you can also possibly turn the pages on the New York Post. I'm in it every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and have been since George Washington formed the United States. Okay, onward, onward, onward. I got to tell you, the sports world is getting uppity. You can shove things like stickball, handball, pickleball. We are now talking high-class ball, like straight out of the late Princess Grace Kelly's backyard. From Monte Carlo International Sports, now comes paddleball. If you don't know what it is, and I didn't know what it is, it's what? There's a man named Fabrice Pastor. He is the president of the A1 Paddle Worldwide Pro. Today, at 4 p.m., he is now, this minute, partnering with the New York Yankees and bringing the game here. This Sunday, at Wallman Rink, me, who is too limited to even play jacks, I asked him to explain the thing. He said to me, well, in 2015, we launched the Fabrice Pastor Cup Circuit in South America. Now we are touring the four continents. I said, yeah, great. So what? What are you talking about? What? What is this? Football? Croquet? Spitball? What? And he said, it is similar to tennis 90%. The ball is wool inside. A tennis ball goes away. Ours comes back. Indoor, if you're playing on a carpet, and you do, it means social fun at the age of 7 or 87. You can go out of court after your smash hits the ground. Then it comes right back in. Our racket is smaller. It's less inflated, less pressure, our uniform is like for polo or rugby. The learning time is one week. And he said, listen, Prince Albert, Raphael Nadal, Roger Federer, all love paddle. Women, too. Look, he said, I am fifth generation from Monaco. My grandfather built 70% of the country. A professional player... I wanted to give back, not to make any money. A true sports gift means it changes your life. Okay, okay, I said, okay, fine. But besides smashing balls into walls, what else is he doing while he's here? Well, he said, I'm going to walk. My kids are coming. It was Yankee President Randy Levine's idea to bring us here. 
to see Brooklyn, the Bronx, a check for a putting court so players can create a paddle clinic. And Sunday, today, this day, I will teach you to play. What is he kidding? I said, oh, please. My immediate plan right now is to take a nap. But I'm letting you all know that you should go and you should watch. This is something new for our civilization. Now, onward to other things. Indoor stuff. The 92nd Street Y. Martha Stewart was there, and she talked about her time behind bars. She said, The West Virginia all-girls prison I was in, we ended up calling Camp. One whose mother was from Eritrea used to smuggle in the flat bread that's part of Ethiopian cuisine. How did she get it in? She smuggled it in through her bra, she said. And then she said, this is Martha Stewart, I taught them, the prisoners, how to make apple butter from crab apples that grew on the campus. But then once I also got solitary confinement. Why? Because they actually found one hard-boiled egg in my room. Onward, says Martha Stewart. Listen, my brother was a hunter when we were younger. He skinned muskrats. I helped sell them to Sears, unblemished, no holes in the skins. He made $15 a skin because of me. Also, I was my father's favorite, Eagle Scout leader. He'd sit with his Indian feather headdress on. So listen, to me, prison wasn't that bad. Coming up is Martha Stewart's documentary about prison and our penal system failures. I want to tell you some stories. Fashion magazines today are about as in demand as Biden doing the polka. The advertising is down. Readership is down. So up comes a lady named Samira Nasser. Her father is Lebanese. Her mother is Trinidadian. She is the first woman of color in Harper's Bazaar's 153 years to head the magazine. But after Hamas bombed, killed, mutilated, beheaded, captured, tortured, and killed Israelis, Americans, babies, and children, she posted support of the terrorists. Nice going, hun. Should help your subscriptions. A lady called Valerie Salambier, the former publisher of Harper's Bazaar, sent this message to Debbie Chiricella, the president of Hearst, and to the former CEO of Hearst, Frank Fennec. This was her message. I want to see Samira fired. I am appalled at the remarks made by supporting the terrorist group Hamas. She is just a fashion 
magazine editor. She is not a spokesperson for Hamas. You must fire her immediately. Shame on her. And shame on Hearst for allowing this. This lady who wrote this post supporting Hamas has just removed that online post. That's all I know. And that is what I have to tell you. It's enough. I am going onward. I am going onward. More about fashion. Listen, back when ladies wore tight bras and high heels, when there was old money and new wardrobe, before there was pandemic and economic miseries, rich ladies with high incomes and low necklines, they bought designer wardrobe. That's when a thing called the real, real luxury and consignment idea was born. We all know about real, real now. It's on the Internet. It's in advertising. It's on television. It's on stores. But when it started, it was then snooty. If you'd bring highly polished Hermes leather boots to them for resale, Fine. If you brought Chanel suits with label intact, great. Gucci, okay. Prada shoes, fine. Armani leather jacket, please. When someone brought it in, they sniffed like a bird had just peed on the customer. They didn't want to go down market to Armani. Okay, they were savvy and hotshot once. The Kardashians even unloaded stuff there. But the world has turned, and that place has turned. There have been in-house arguments. The staff has had heavy turnover. Paid-out money has arrived slowly, if it arrives at all. There are lawsuits. They opened brick-and-mortar shops. Another problem, those shops didn't do well. I am telling you what I know. The idea began in 2019. It is now not so good. Big-name celebrities I know still buy in second-hand consignment shops. But if you have a wedding, don't wait. Hurry. The place and the schmata you want could be gone. Okay. Now, this thing that I feel like saying has nothing to do with anything, but I just came across it. And why should I know something if I don't let you know it? Colin Farrell. This has, like I say, I'm just, I'm just feeling like I want to say this. Colin Farrell, the actor, he has actually said he christens Every hotel room he stays in. Okay, how? How do you christen a hotel room? He said, by going to the loo, immediately I get there. Well, okay, so how does this help him? It's not clear, but he says he even reads the hotel menu 
while he's in there. Listen, I don't really care about his urinary tract, but Colin Farrell could have gotten an Oscar. Does this have anything to do with his urinary tract in a hotel? And why am I telling you this? Because I heard it. And what good is my knowing something if nobody knows I know it? So I'm telling it to you. I am also going to tell you that Melania, who doesn't really need any money because she's got plenty coming in with a prenup, she's got a Christmas collection for sale. It's all red, white, and blue, and it's patriotic. Brass enamel train, star-shaped ornament, USA flag charms, love, peace, faith, Christmas tree ball, Everything there is thirty-five-ish to forty-five dollars. Now, in case you have an interest in New Jersey, you may not, but I don't care. My friend is Jim McGreevy. He came out as a gay American and resigned as New Jersey governor governor twenty years ago. He is now, as of this minute about to run for mayor of Jersey City. He says, I'll officially announce November 21. That's the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. The election is 2025. Why are you doing this, I said. He said, look, my daughter is now a Barnard senior. My two gorgeous police dogs are gone. A working-class environment is what I know. Even my grandparents' roots were here where I grew up. Mom, a nurse. Dad, a Marine. Me, I've been a Democratic mayor, a governor, in the assembly, a legislative assistant, a worker with prisoners. Jersey politics to me is like coming back home. So he is now, he says, I'm back again, hitting street festivals, church socials, campaigning the old way, eating all those crappy tuna fish sandwiches. You know what happened as a result? I don't know if I'm getting elected, but I've already gained 10 pounds. Great. Let him enroll Biden's animal commander in finishing school if he's got nothing else to do until he announces. Onward. Onward. A full-page news story recently reported the purchases, the greatnesses of LVMH's medicine man, Bernard Arnold, one of our planet's riches. Richest. He owns 57th and 5th's three corners. They are the globe's classiest three corners in the world. Those three corners that he already owns are Tiffany, Bulgari, Vuitton. And I am sure he is now looking to Bergdorf's. So let me tell you, early in April, Bulgari's gold wristwatch stopped working. It was given to me by Barbara Walters. When I brought it in to repair, they said, It's old, and they said they will send it for repair to Europe. Europe? 
an important shop's own jewelry sent to Europe for repair? Despite repeat phone calls, it has taken them six months. They charged me $2,200 to repair their own wristwatch. The other day, a long day ago, Tiffany's reopened after being closed for redoing. A uniformed guard barred me coming in because he didn't recognize me. He said, unless I have an appointment, I can't come in. I said, maybe all I want to do is to price a silver chain. Finally, someone recognized me and ushered me in. But they had a guard alongside me that never let me browse, graze, try on. When I wanted to go to the second floor to see the jewelry there, they wouldn't leave me alone. The guard accompanied me. And this is the great lord of retail looking to grab our fourth corner at 57th and 5th Bergdorf's. I mean, is that where we're going? Mr. Arnold also said his ancestry reaches back to Charlemagne. He said his ancestors actually owned the ark with Noah. So I said, did they really make the ark themselves? He said, no, our people had a boat of our own. We really didn't need the ark. Okay, I'm coming near the end before John Katsimatidis, who owns this station, needs to make some money and he needs to do commercials. But until we go, another story. I'm not mentioning names. I'm just saying it happened. Coney Island. Forget the parachute jump excitement. Shove the Paris wheel and the roller coaster and the toy cars that bump into one another. I am not telling tales. I am not revealing names. I am just mumbling that come weekends, there is lots of human activity at night. In dark cars is all I'm saying. And be it known, NYC's new citywide rot, pot, taxes, filth, crime, poverty, costs, progressives, stores closing, buildings empty, streets dirty, immigrants arriving, politicians forget about it, is already beginning to feel it. We are failing. Long-time residents tell of inching south. They're leaving. Young'uns are creeping east. Even Connecticut families are behind gates, but talking of moving. They're beginning to feel it. I'm hearing it. I'm reporting it. New York, New York, you were once a hell of a town. And now I am going to a station break, and then I'll be right back. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. 
Good afternoon. This is Madam Adams, Madam Cindy Adams from the New York Post. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, you can read me. And if you're not reading me, you should be. And right now, I am about to be speaking to the absolutely gorgeous Arbany Nola Gabriel. Is it Gabriel or Gabriel? Gabriel. Okay, I got half of it right. She is the current Miss Universe. I have so much I want to ask because I will tell you midway through our interview that long before you were born, I was assistant to the president of Miss Universe, Inc. That was before Donald bought it, and I was running it. So I have a lot of questions. First of all, it's an interesting name. What do they call you? Uh, I have lots of names or nicknames. My friends call me Arby or Bonnie, Arby's, Bon Bon. It just really depends, but okay, okay. I, I respond to a lot. <laughs> Is this a Philippine name? You know, it's actually a made-up name. My dad's name is Arbon, and my parents got really creative, and they named me Arbonnie. So I'm kind of like the female version of my dad's name. So tell me now, how did this come about? How did you become a contestant? I, I need to know the background. How did you start? Tell me where, from where. Okay, so I was living in Houston, Texas. I had already graduated college, and, you know, I'm just trying to build my career as a fashion designer and a model, and I'm working in Houston. I'm at a photo shoot, and the lady that's doing my hair, she says she thinks I would do really well in pageants, and she was into the whole pageant world, and she kind of just recruited me, and she asked me if I was interested, and I totally blew her off. I was like, I'm not interested in pageants. I'm I'm really busy focusing on my career, and I just started seeing this woman at more and more modeling shoots around Houston, and she was very persistent in asking me if I wanted to join a pageant, and then finally about a year later, it's COVID, and I have more free time on my hands because we're all kind of on a lockdown, and I said, you know what, let me give this pageant thing a try. I think this woman is onto something, and maybe this is a sign because she just keeps asking me, so... In 2020, I entered my first pageant in the Houston area. It was very small, and I got first runner-up. So after I had my first pageant, I kind of got the pageant bug. I was like, this is actually really challenging, and it's a lot of fun. And you know what? I got first runner-up. I have the itch. I want to win now. So that's really where I started my pageant journey. What did your parents think? You know, my parents have really always been supportive. They had no idea what um, it took to be in a pageant. All of us were very unfamiliar with it, but my parents were so open-minded, so they, they were along for the ride ever since day one. Okay. How do you actually, or how does anyone, I know all the answers because I was there as the assistant to the president, <laughs> but I need you to tell me, how does one enter to become a contestant at the Miss Universe pageant? Well, to get to Miss Universe, you first have to win your uh, country's title. So for me being from USA, to even win Miss USA, you first have to win your state. So I had to compete for Miss Texas. It took me um, four pageants until I found, finally won my state title, Miss Texas, 
which then granted me the access to compete against all. We have 51 states that compete for USA. So I go on after winning Texas, I go to USA, win USA, and then I had three months to prepare and compete against about 80 to 85 countries and then won Miss Universe. Okay. Who so pays for really all that? Who pays for all that? Because you're just kids. I'm, uh, that's a lot of money that you have to lay out for all of these contest, contests. How does that get paid for? You know, it, it's kind of, I was, I was just doing what I could. It was kind of like whatever I could find. Um, I paid for a lot of it, but I also had sponsors or people that would give me discounts on training classes, like speaking coaches, interview coaches. Um, I also applied for a grant to get some money. I had people lending me their wardrobe, so I didn't have to spend a lot on wardrobe. I was taking classes to do my own hair and makeup to save money. But I definitely had a team of people that believed in me and would sponsor me in one way or another, where they were giving me their services or giving me a discount or this and that. It was kind of just whatever I could do to make it work. Well, since you were not a professional, none of you are really when you do this, were you not a little scared or terrified or whatever it is to do all this because there's a lot of jealousy there's a lot of everything that goes on backstage. <laughs> There's definitely a lot of everything that goes on backstage. Um, I would say when I first started, it was it was the fear of the unknown. I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. So it, it seemed like a whole other world to me that I wasn't even sure if I would fit in or not. So it was definitely terrifying, but I love a good challenge. And as I was saying, after I did my first pageant, I felt like such an outsider, but I just loved how it, there was a whole self-improvement aspect of it. And I was gaining confidence from being able to speak better and talk about myself in a more confident way. So, I mean, I think anything that scares you, you should just run headfirst into it. I remember when I was running it that Donald Trump was desperately trying to date one of the blondes. One of the the things was they weren't allowed to go out on dates. They weren't allowed to have guys in their room did you have some of those restrictions? <laughs> oh, definitely. I think those same rules apply. When we're actually competing at Miss Universe, we can have no visitors in our room. No boyfriends, coaches, family, friends, n- nobody. <laughs> so when when you become a contestant, do they then pay for all everything? You don't have to pay for anything anymore, do you? So I would say when I won Miss Texas, part of the prize package is sponsorship for training, which is hair and makeup classes, uh, walking classes. So that was covered. And then also I get sponsored for a gown. Also sponsored, uh, I get a car to drive around Texas. So that helps with a lot of the expenses. And then same for Miss USA. It comes with a prize package of different sponsorships. So all that really just helped with the expenses along the way. What happens immediately after you get the crown, after you become Miss Universe? I mean, your heart palpitates. What happens instantly (laughs) afterwards? Oh, my gosh, it's a whirlwind. So I'm on stage. I find out I win. And, you know, after that, I think the confetti comes down and you just you do your walk and wave. And then people come up and you take photos. And then after that, I got whisked backstage, and we do our official 
first photo shoot. So I had my first photo shoot as Miss Universe, and then get whisked away again to a press conference. And then after that, I get to have, I think what happened after that, an after party. So a new, I won a New Orleans, and there was an after party with a lot of fans and friends and family. And then after that, I think I finally went to my hotel room at about 4 a.m. <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> I, I had like 10 of my closest family members there. And then, I mean, it was just the greatest night ever. I, I slept maybe a couple hours. And then the very next day, I'm on a flight to New York and I'm moving into my apartment. It's the Miss Universe apartment that every Miss Universe has lived in. So it's pretty iconic. I know, I know it. I know it. I know it. <laughs> rules. What are the rules for the year? year of being Miss Universe? What are you permitted to do? What are you not allowed to do? You know, I I feel like I'm allowed to do so much. Um, Rules-wise, I mean, because I'm under contract, you know, Miss Universe just lays out my whole schedule. They make the deals for me. You know, any networking opportunities Miss Universe handles. So I have them kind of building my whole schedule. I can't really make my own schedule and I kind of I'm basically an employee of the organization so I just follow kind of whatever they schedule me for which it's always something amazing or interesting or travel based so I let them kind of handle my life for the year but I love it listen Miss Universe did you ever screw up did you ever fall flat on your prat did anything ever happen during you to you during the whole year I don't mean to sound boring, but honestly, not really. I've I've uh, I've been able to do everything they've asked me to do. I've stayed awake for everything, and I can't, I'm honestly not thinking of anything I felt sad on. I can tell you one thing. One year when we were doing it in in Puerto Rico, there was an actress by the name of Lynn Redgrave. And her sister is Vanessa Redgrave. She came and her wardrobe was lost. She had no gown and she was one of the judges. And there was a designer who was also a judge named Arnold Scazzi. He had been dressing Jackie Kennedy and some of the other famous ladies. He took a bed sheet from the bed and he wrapped it around her like in a toga. And she took my jewelry. I had uh, some fancy stuff with me. She used my jewelry. She wore a schmata, a bed sheet, and that's how she was a judge at the Miss Universe contest in Puerto Rico. So things can happen. So tell oh my me, God, I love it. <laughs> what would you change? What if you were in my job and you were running the operation? What would you change in the Miss Universe contest? What would I change? Yeah, what would you like to make different? Mm, Or advice to a future contestant? (laughs) What would might that be? Well, oh man. Well, I I'm supposed to be Miss Universe for a year, and my reign is cut a little bit short. So I'm only Miss Universe for ten months. Uh, The scheduling kind of got um off schedule because of covid so if i could change anything i would love to be miss universe for a whole year i would say another thing is it was definitely one of my uh top five questions on stage they asked me what rule i would change which was the age limit because when i competed you could only compete until age 28 and i won at age 28 so they actually just recently changed the miss universe rules where there's no age limit now 
which I think is really great. So what is your future now? What are you going to do? Are you going to be an actress? You're going to be a model? What are you going to do? <laughs> Lots of things. So I, I'm living in New York now, and I'm really excited. I've fallen in love with the city, so I'm going to stay here after my reign is done. I'm looking for an apartment right now. I want to stay here because I'm a sustainable fashion designer. I love the industry, so I'll continue building my clothing brand, and I'll continue modeling. I love public speaking, so anything around those three things, modeling, public speaking, and designing. Do you know, you probably do not, that I was the one who brought the original Miss Universe pageant to Manila back in the early 80s, with Imelda Marcos. Oh, I didn't know that. You didn't know that's so flattering. What can I tell you? Oh but that's what I did. I I brought that's it there. That's incredible. Yep. That's and incredible. There was a hurricane that came in the day we were televising, and Imelda Marcos sent up the Philippine Air Force to seed the clouds. I don't know how you do that. I don't know why they can't do it in the United States. She seeded <laughs> the clouds with the with the Air Force, and the black clouds floated 50 miles away, and we were able to televise. Mm-hmm. 24 hours later, the hurricane came down. So, I mean, I have a history of Manila and the Miss Universe pageant. Anyway, thank you, honey. Thank you very much for talking <laughs> to me. I enjoyed it. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it as well. Okay, sweetie. Good luck. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Okay, I'm back. I want to tell you that there is a message from Brigadier General Retired Amir Avivi. He was Gaza Division's former deputy commander. He said, Hamas must not survive. Also, Iran, who committed Hamas's suicide mission to prevent the U.S.-Israeli-Sunni alliance and peace in the Middle East, must also not survive. He has said every building used by Iran and Hamas for war is a civilian building. They intentionally expose their own civilians to become martyrs against every counterstrike by Israel. Israel's security means destroying Hamas. This is from the Brigadier General, who was Gaza Division's former deputy commander. Listen, I'm on to America. All for one and none for nobody. They want to, the progressives, expectorate on the Supreme Court. New laws they want to fie on the Constitution. They want to welcome foreigners who'd bar you from their own country. We have a president whose aroma seeps outside his john. It's time to free killers, jail Pauls, screw reading and writing in schools, Make English a second language. Smash patriot statues and put up marks. So I am going on. I am just fomenting. Besides Mrs. Menendez, the 
the husband you have been reading about. But besides the husband, Mrs. Menendez, may her jewelry increase. New Jersey's Governor Phil Murphy is unhappy because his own wife, Tammy, who has four kids, a villa in Italy, and chairs a soccer team, wants to take over Mrs. Menendez's first lady stature. Her platform would be, who knows, maybe move Atlantic City to Newark. Her family, the family of Mrs. Governor Phil Murphy, currently in, in, in place, her family and others are deeply cranky. The sitting governor is cranky. The children are cranky. But New York once the greatest city in the world, scratches on. The Bronx is up and the quality's down. Outdoor eateries, bikes, delivery guys, scaffolds, construction, congested east-west streets, taxes a lot, taxis not, a mayor who wants to be president, a governor who wants to stay governor, a blonde senator who wants to remain blonde and a senator, a presidential son may his tripe decrease, plus a Long Island rep who admitted he lies. Are we not a great country or what? Forget rats, roaches, and our subway in a hole. At least... We got marijuana, and soon maybe gambling, and daily rallies for hate everywhere. Are we not great, or what? One more thing about the political world. I do not know New Jersey's Senator Menendez personally. I only know the wife has custom schmatas, professionally blonded hair, good manicures, expensive necklaces, bracelets, earrings, and nice purses. It's all I know. And I'm thinking about how lousy things are today, and I'm remembering back when life was easier. Maybe the kids growing up won't remember, but I do. It was back when we had no area codes like 212-718-646, when we had phones with operators and numbers and had names like Plaza, Gramercy, Columbus, Beekman, Ludlow, Melrose, Endicott, Trafalgar, Murray Hill, and we actually had an operator. I am not saying we should go back, but I am now saying I'm not sure the way we're going forward is terrific. I got another thing I want to tell you about Bloomberg's Business School. Bloomberg's Business School has reported. Now listen to this if you have kids. Bloomberg's Business School has reported, and one parent actually told me 
to my face that families are now unloading $750,000, nearly one million U.S. bucks to squeeze their kid into an Ivy League college. I am not kidding, and I am not wrong, and I know what I am talking about. The human cash register who collects that money, Christopher Rim, R-I-M, he is a Yaley from New Jersey. Ask him, what does it take to shove a son or a daughter into Harvard or Yale? How does he do it? What is his connection? Who does he go to? His one answer, $750,000. His office is called Command Education. It's a white glove college concierge op. To just consult with him a la carte, it's $1,500 an hour. One family was told a way in was to move with their son to another state like Kentucky or Arkansas. Forget wondering why we have such zeros running our country. And you don't have to worry why we have a zero like me running this show. I am off, and it's time for me to go, and I will listen and hope to talk to you next Sunday again. I love you. Thank you for listening. Cindy Adams. Bye.